This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. General Electric says it's going to freeze the pensions of 20,000 workers with salaried benefits and offer buyouts to another 100,000 former employees. The move again highlights the changes by U.S. companies to move away from guaranteed retirement plans. GE's pensions, uh, pension plans have been closed to new enrollees since 2012. This was the next step by CEO Larry Culp to try and reduce company debt, which has seen their pensions underfunded by some $27 billion. The new move is said to slash between 5 and $8 billion off of that debt number. It will not affect, by the way, those already receiving pension payments. With more on this move, we are joined here in studio by Olivia Mitchell, professor of insurance and risk management and business economics and policy here at the Wharton School. She's also executive director of the Pension Research Council and director of the Bettner Center on Pensions and Retirement Research. And by the way, we should note that she is a recent winner of the Ketchum Prize, courtesy of the FINRA Foundation, their highest honor, recognizing researchers and educators who have made major advances towards improving investor protection and financial capability in the United States. We're also joined on the phone by Marshall Meyer, Emeritus Professor of Management here at the Wharton School. Olivia, great to see you again. Happy to be here. Thank you, Marshall. Great to have you with us on the phone. Good morning, Dan. Thank you. These statistics are obviously, this is a story we have talked about, Olivia, for quite some time. The statistics are talking about an $8 billion savings. But as I mentioned, that seemingly is is just part of the story since these pensions are seemingly so far underfunded at this point. Well, defined benefit plan, plans like the one that GE still has or had uh, until it, it term, froze it uh, yesterday, those defined benefit plans have uh, really been problematic for major U.S. companies for many years now. And the main reason is that the assets needed to be able to fund the promises made have simply been insufficient to make those promises real. The federal government regulates the way these plans work and says, by the way, you should be 100% funded. But GE hasn't been able to do that. And so now with the sale of many of its assets, it's trying to improve funding and uh, prevent further accruals from amassing. How many companies still have what we uh, consider to be traditional pension plans at this point, because a lot of them have paired it off over the last couple of decades. Well, very interesting. Back in uh, 1980, there were about 146,000 single employer pension plans in the U.S. Today, we're down to about 44,000. What's taken place instead is that defined contribution plans have grown from about 340,000 to 655,000. Defined contribution plans, of course, are those that are popularly known as 401ks, 403bs in the nonprofit sector, where what's specified is the amount of money that's contributed, and you get what you get when you hit retirement age. Marshall, uh, part of this story is also the changes that Mr. Culp is trying to make at at GE and and the path that he has seen that he has to take in the wake of some probably some decisions in the past that that were not in the best interest of the company. Um, uh, to be sure, um, uh, GE has uh, suffered a lot in recent years. Um, I think. Uh, and Olivia may want to speak to this. 
what may have shocked GE uh, into uh, rethinking their pensions finally um, is uh, uh, a double whammy. Um, first, a, a report. I don't know if any of you remember Harry Markopoulos. He was the one who exposed Madoff initially. I think it was back in August, maybe July. He issued a report saying that uh, GE, uh, which had retained the long-term care insurance business, was $29 billion in the red in that business. Again, they didn't have adequate reserves. And then recently, Fitch has basically validated this. So GE is not out of the woods yet. We're joined uh, on the phone by Marshall Meyer, Emeritus Professor of Management here at the Wharton School and in studio, Olivia Mitchell uh, from the Wharton School as well. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So the buyouts that are going to be offered, Olivia, to to retirees, former employees of the company, numbering about 100,000, but they still have a large number of people that are in that kind of in that kind of area right now. So is this step one in what will probably be a few buyouts over the course of the, of the next few years? It's quite likely that the company will try to um, reduce the burden of the pension plan going forward. Now, one thing we don't yet have clarity on is what the exact terms of trade will be for these lump sum buyouts. That is, uh, employees who have left the company who are no longer um, – on the payroll, but who are not yet retired, will be offered a lump sum. Uh, the news reports indicate that it will be a Christmas present yeah. by December of 2019. Um, the company has also reported that there will be no increase in the pension plan underfunding as a result. Right. So what that suggests to me is that the lump sum buyouts will probably be less than the expected value of the lifetime income payments that the retirees would get when sure. they when they uh, if they accepted the long term payments. But um, how much less we just don't know yet. That seemingly is a pattern we're seeing with a lot of companies who are getting away from having the pension plan. It's been a something that has been done in the newspaper industry uh, quite a bit to have that buyout so that the company can get out from under a certain percentage of, of the cost that they would have still been expected to pay over a period of time. And I have to say that the lump sum buyout can be very attractive. First of all, people love lump sums. They don't really understand annuities, which is part of the problem. Yeah. And second of all, um, the GE pension is still 80% funded, meaning 20% underfunded. Right. And if for some reason GE were to go into bankruptcy, then the pension plan would be transferred to the federal government's insurance agency, which is known as the PBGC. And the PBGC itself is 23 years away from having a cash insolvency problem. So... Taking the odds into account, I could understand some people might really value the lump sum. But what would be, what should be the expectation, I guess, at this point of the ability of GE to even get close to 100% funded on their, on their, on these plans? 
That's a tough question because they've really been trying. They've put, they said they would put $5 billion in this year. They put in another big chunk of assets last year. But uh, $27 billion is a big hole to fill. So the question then will be, um, what's the, the CEO's path forward? And I am somewhat dubious. I will also note that um, the GE uh, group already cut retiree health benefits back in 2018 so that um, instead of covering um, continued health care for people after they left, they decided to give uh, retirees only $1,000 a year and mm. essentially issue them a happy hunting permit. Oh, and so they're really trying to cut along all dimensions possible, but obviously this is giving employees and retirees a great deal of pause. So uh, then... Marshall, take us through the, the, the work that Mr. Culp has been doing uh, since he took over as CEO of the company to try and, and make GE a leaner company, but, but one that can still be profitable moving forward. Well, I, I, he, he's got uh, quite a challenge there because uh, I guess his first job is to keep the confidence of the board. Um, uh, his predecessor, Flannery, uh, lasted about 12 months, uh, and uh, when they came up 29 billion short uh, in the uh, power division, uh, the board couldn't handle it, and uh, he was out and replaced. Um, I think you know, Culp has tried to focus the business. They're trying to move what was a sprawling conglomerate into a business focused in two or three areas. Uh, one of them still is power generation. Another is uh, aviation. Uh, it's less clear um, uh, what they're going to do with health care mm -hmm. and a couple of other businesses. But ultimately, it's going to be a much smaller, much leaner, hopefully more profitable company. What about the, the, the role that Mr. Culp has to play in, in the wake of the other leaders of GE in years past, people like Jeff Immelt, Bill Connedy, John Lynch, and, and I guess their efforts or lack their efforts to be able to kind of get, get around on this problem in years past? Well, look, um, you know, G, GE um, uh, at its peak was a brilliant acquirer of other companies. Um, here's, here's kind of an interesting factoid. Um, the, the number of acquisitions they did actually peaked early in the Welch era. And most people don't remember that when Welch stepped aside, his last attempted and turns out failed acquisition was Honeywell. So over time, it got harder and harder for GE to acquire promising companies, largely because of the growth of the private equity market. And so... Um, it's no longer possible to operate as a conglomerate, uh, you know, looking for really, really attractive assets and getting rid of those that don't perform very well. And as a consequence, the company's got to focus. Olivia, on top of the, the, the 20,000 uh, workers that are going to have their pensions frozen and, and the 100,000 former employees that are going to see uh, the the potential of a buyout. You also have a group of employees who had reached executive status who are also going to see uh, their benefits frozen. They had supplementary uh, pension plans as well. Take us through what, what impact that is going to have on this process as well. 
Well, the supplementary pensions typically are targeted at management ranks and top management ranks so that they provide a retirement benefit above what the typical pension would pay. Now, Frequently, those uh, supplementary pensions for execs are not pre-funded. So it's really up to the health of the company to make good on those promises. Um, So now the uh, GE decision to cut those supplementary benefits will mean that to keep top management, they're going to have to make it up somehow, either with higher cash comp, maybe more stock. But of course, the stock performance hasn't been very good either. Right. And in that sense, um, management is in the same boat as the rank and file employees who, during the heyday of the company, put essentially all of their retirement money when they had the option into GE stock, thinking it could never sure. go down. Yeah. And here we see that stock is down. Marshall, your thoughts? Um, a thought, uh, a, a, I think the supplementary pensions are uh, a, a major issue here because they're, they're, they're a promise, but they're not legally guaranteed. And so if GE is really in a bind, yeah. uh, they can pull back substantially on them, but with the consequence that Olivia outlined. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Olivia Mitchell and Marshall Meyer of the Wharton School joining me uh, in studio and on the phone uh, talking about GE freezing pensions of some 20,000 workers and potentially setting up buyouts for another 100,000 former employees. Again, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. The other point that you brought up to me before we went on is, is just the question of solvency of the funds that are there in the first place and where that actually stands in two years, three years, and, and beyond at this point. Yes. In the U.S., uh, corporate defined benefit plans have to, by law, pay an insurance premium into this government insurance entity known as the PBGC. And that is supposed to be the backstop against the possibility of the corporation itself going bankrupt and having insufficient money in the defined benefit plan. Um, Over the last certainly 15 years, 20 years, the price of those insurance premiums has been going up and up and up to be able to cover the shortfalls of bankrupt companies from the past, including, by the way, many auto companies, many airline companies, and so forth. Um, The underlying problem is that the government insurance entity simply can't raise enough money to be able to backstop those defined benefit plans. So I think it's a huge problem we have. So what does it mean, Marshall, for the company itself moving forward, which it's been seen that it's been, you know, divesting some assets over the last few years. What is the what is the future of GE at this point? Um, look, it's hard to predict. Obviously, um, uh, there are problems um, in the power generation business, uh, partly because of a bad acquisition, the uh, Alstrom uh, power operation, and partly because of the move toward green energy which is um, getting in the way of traditional power generation. This said, of course, uh, GE is a leader in uh, wind-driven turbines. Um, As long as airline industry continues to grow, and uh, GE will be a huge factor in the uh, engine business, and 
That's practically an annuity business. What was the phrase they used to use? Power by the hour. Mm-hmm. Essentially, yeah. airlines rent those jet engines. They don't actually purchase them outright. So that's one terrific business. As to the other businesses, very, very difficult to predict at this point. This is, as we have talked about, Olivia, this is something that a lot of companies have done, getting away from the traditional defined benefit plan, switching over to 401k, 403b, and it really does put the pressure and the onus on the investment, on the on the individual, on the employee, and no longer the company. And for many people, that's a challenge for them to be able to continue to try and get the, the benefits for their retirement that maybe they were getting in the, in their traditional pension plan. That's absolutely true. Now, the the 401k plan that GE is offering will have a minimum contribution by the employer of 3% of pay plus a 50% match all the way up to 8% of pay. And then for the first couple of years, they're going to give everybody an additional 2% of pay to help with the transition, quote unquote. Um, But what this does then is it requires employees to start taking control of whether or not that's enough saving, how much saving to do, how to invest their money, and of course at retirement, how to manage the money so that they don't run out through retirement. So this is a huge problem given the widespread level of financial illiteracy in America. By the way, we're not unique. Many other countries around the world also have equivalent, if not higher, levels of financial illiteracy. But the advent of the defined contribution plan really has put more burden on our own shoulders to be smart about retirement saving. But again, Marshall, kind of off of what you said a moment ago, this will put pressure on the company itself uh, with that relationship between executives and employees moving forward. Uh, Absolutely. In fact, I think the real pressure is not going to be so much at the executive ranks, but at the middle management ranks. Um, Quite frankly, GE was run for many years uh, like a bureaucracy. I know that uh, the GE management system was considered to be the model uh, for uh, developing high-quality managers. Uh, Part of that management system, a Welch legacy, was what do they call it, rankety-yank? so that the bottom 10% would be dropped every year. Still, the compensation system uh, was not thoroughly up to date. Uh, Everyone within individual businesses was on the same escalator based on the performance of that business. The amount of variation in compensation, and not continuation, but compensation, based on individual performance was not very large. And so one of the things you're going to have to do is focus much more on compensating exceptional performance as well as retaining it, which they did do a good job of. And that compensation, I think, will allow people some cushion for accumulating retirement benefits. Olivia? I would uh, agree with that and then add further that defined contribution plans um, really provide the opportunity to reward uh, people as a function of their comp. 
And so instead of paying basically everybody according to the same formula, a defined contribution uh, arrangement will recognize in retirement benefits the same factors that are recognized in a regular compensation environment. And I think um, this really speaks to the changing labor force we have and people's changing expectations. It used to be in the old days you would start a job at GE or IBM or the old uh, auto companies, and you would expect to spend the next 30 years there and retire with a cushy pension. People don't do that anymore. They're expecting to change jobs over their careers several times. They want control over their investments, sometimes, unfortunately, not well done when they invest too much in company stock. And um, they are, I think, reasonably concerned about underfunding and defined benefit plans. So I believe the 401k model is a more modern one. It's more um, democratic, if you will, because it rewards people even if they spend a short time at the company, whereas defined benefit plans penalize people who left after a short time. So I I really think it's a good move, but obviously people who had uh, different expectations are not going to be happy. My dad was one of them for, you know, working at Philadelphia Electric Company. Uh, here in this city for over 30 years. And, you know, he had a pension plan that obviously benefited our family. But I think you're right uh, that, that the generational change of, of mindset with the the baby boomers maybe being that, that swing area, Olivia, going below the baby boomer generation, the expectation is, okay, it's going to be either a 401k or 403b, and I'm going to move move on from there. Absolutely right. And then the other on the other side, the employers that have continued, the few that have continued to offer defined benefit plans are finding they're just getting more and more expensive. The right. insurance is getting expensive. Low interest rates have really plagued uh, pension markets, meaning that more and more assets have to be set aside to fund those future promises. So it's not a pretty picture. In fact, in the UK, there essentially is no large company that still offers a defined benefit plan. Well, and you mentioned me before that uh, on the list of Fortune 500 companies, it's in the teens, the number of companies that still have a have a, a defined or a pension plan at this point. So 16% of companies still have one versus almost 60% in 1998. And of those that do, two of them have already announced they're going to freeze their plans in the year 2020 and a couple more have reduced their benefits. So it's um, it's uh, it's on the path to extinction in the corporate sector. That was going to be my next question. It, now it seemingly feels like we're getting even closer and closer to really seeing a time maybe in our lifetime where there are there is no such thing as 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 the traditional pension plan except for maybe with teachers and fire uh, fire department workers and and police departments as well correct state and local workers still the majority of them have defined benefit plans but by the way those are underfunded to the tune of about 4 trillion dollars so um all is not well in defined benefit land in the public sector but what what do what do entities in general have to do to think about being able to just have a have a a reasonably normal level of funding thinking about those public entities as well where you have uh, obviously a lot of people that have invested significantly in that pension plan and they have an expectation of what's going to be there when they get off the police force after 20 years or they're done with the fire department after 20 years 
Well, in the public sector, the issue is very complicated because the public employer, the state, the city, what have you, needs to raise the money. Where does it come from? Taxpayers. And so the more taxes that need to be raised to cover the public funds, the more people like us say, gee, maybe I don't need to live in Philadelphia where we have a wage tax and a, a city tax. Maybe I can move outside. And people are mobile, and that's already becoming a factor in where they settle down. How, how long would it, would you think it might be that a company like GE, using them as, as the example here, will be f- fully shifted over to all future employees and, and all employees, I guess, in general, will be on the 401k plan for their company? Obviously, you have a lot of older employees that are still kind of in the mix, which probably, I, I guess, would be a shift that we would see in the next 20 years or so. Probably. Um, I think GE Worldwide has something like 280,000 total employees in the U.S., about 100,000. But as people age and as they move up through the um, progress through the, the company, I think it will be true that certainly within 10 years, very few people will have remnants of defined benefit plans. I think it's, Marshall, it's it's just a kind of a new age of thought process and how you run a company and what the what the benefits are going to be for those employees moving forward. Um, I agree with that. I'd like to loop back a little bit to the yep. public sector because I've talked talk to a bunch of mayors about this. And they will tell you the same story always. Um, they're stuck with huge pension payments uh, for police and fire, especially. Understandable because these are first responders. Uh, Still, getting out of that is politically extremely difficult, partly because of the power of police and fire and other civil service unions, and partly because um, the easiest promise a legislator or a city council person can make is for a future benefit rather than a benefit that's paid today. And so the path out of these public service pensions is not at all clear in my judgment. The only thing I would add is that we've already seen instances of big cities, Chicago, Detroit, and uh, Puerto Rico as a, a large entity, face up to the reality of not being able to pay their entire pension. So I totally agree with you, Marshall, that the power of the civil service unions is enormous. But sometimes the the dam breaks and uh, pensions have been touched. Great having you both with us. Thank you, Olivia. Great seeing you. My pleasure. Thank you. Marshall, as always, great to have you with us. Thank you, sir. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Olivia Mitchell and Marshall Meyer of the Wharton School joining me here in studio. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.